You are listening to the message by Antioch Center for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochcenterforthenations.org. Thank you. And I want to go into God's Word tonight. Uh, this, this whole last week, more than a week, I've been so excited to be back in Genesis. I love Genesis, especially as you finish off the year and you're like in Zephaniah and Malachi and uh, these harder harder books to read. Genesis is so full of such wonderful stories, and I've been getting uh, an overflow of messages, just so many things the Lord has shown me that I have not seen before. So I'm grateful to the Lord for doing so and um, teaching me and uh, revealing to me His truths. And I was studying this last week and reading through the life of uh, Hagar and you know, not Sammy Hagar. Uh, the, that's the only other Hagar I know. I did some research online and uh, I saw Sammy Hagar and I realized he had the same name. But this is Hagar who is the one that bore children to Abraham by request of Sarah. And uh, I want to talk about her life, because we, we don't frequently focus on her life. We frequently focus on Abraham's life, and we look at Sarah's life, and then we go straight to uh, Isaac, and then we go to Jacob, and on down the line. But uh, Hagar played a pivotal role in, in the life of Abraham and all of us. And I believe that her story is clearly written in the Bible for us to be able to learn something. And of course, there are many different interpretations of how we would look at her life. But I want to share with you what the Lord showed me, because it occurred to me as I was reading over the story of her life this past week that, well, she she went through a lot of things uh, that uh, she was not responsible for. A lot was put upon her. And and then because things were not exactly perfect, she was punished for that. And it started reminding me of some situations in life we get into where we do our very best and we seem to be subject to outside forces that change things and we, we lose control. So it can be quite frustrating. But so the title of this message is, Hagar, when life is not what you want, because this is exactly what her life was her life was not the life that she chose and you know often we who are more powerful of course in in places like this nation and other nations our will is strong uh, we have the finances and the ability and the education the wherewithal to make certain choices but sometimes we lose sight of the fact that a lot of people are born into environments that they cannot change i mean i spent six years in india and i met people in villages that through those years, I spoke to them. Also in Mexico when I was there, these people are in villages living in an environment. And I used to always reflect on the fact that the only difference between them and me is where you were born, uh, what culture you were born into. So that environment in which they were born dictated so many things to them and put so many limitations on them. It's not that they cannot achieve or become something because we all can become whatever we decide, even the people that are relegated to a very difficult position culturally or maybe born in an impoverished nation. I know many of them that have made it to the heights and have been very successful because they learn some skills from different sources. But frequently I see this happen in the Lord. And I've often spoken about the fact that when we've done works in slums, very poor areas, that after we bring the gospel to them, Although they've been born in a very difficult set of circumstances, they're able to learn some principles that change that and give them the ability to escape those circumstances. And so um, God is in control, ultimately, I believe, of all things. We make choices, but even in our choices, there are times I think he circumvents us. He is ultimately the one behind the scenes balancing everything out according to his purpose. One thing I know about God is God will carry out his purposes. And there's nothing that can stop him from doing what he is going to do. Whether you are uh, a part of that purpose, if you're an opponent to that purpose, or you in fact are submitted to that purpose, and that's why it's so important that we want to make sure that we are 
submitted to the purposes of God, the plans of God for our life. And Hagar is one that finds herself in a difficult position concerning the purposes of God. And part of it is because not all of the purposes by which she lived were written by God. In fact, man manipulated this poor woman, which is another circumstance that we often find ourselves in. How many of you have been in a place where you knew some humans or human was manipulating you and there wasn't thing one you could do about it and it was frustrating, maybe on a job, maybe uh, through school, maybe bullying on a playground, some of our distant memories from the times we were very young. We lived under the tyranny of personalities and people. And so I thought of all this when I looked at Hagar and I want us to go into We're going to see seven things life does to you. And I'm going to blame everything on life uh, because it just is. I like what Jesus said when they were trying to figure out why things happen. For instance, why was this man born blind? They asked this question and they wanted a reason. Was it because he sinned? Must be because he sinned. Or maybe it was his parents. Somebody did something that caused this to happen. And it was common amongst the Jews to believe cause and effect and curse as a result of a non-compliance with law, all of these things. And so they wanted to know, but Jesus didn't give them a straight answer. He always gave these strange answers to things he did not want to answer completely and directly. And he told them, you know, do you think that the people upon whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed because there were many people that day in a crowd. This happened during the day of Jesus. And a tower made of uh, stones uh, ruptured and fell. And when it fell straight under it, whoever happened to, uh, by the unlucky place that they were in, in that moment, whoever was under that were crushed to death. And there were 18 of them. And so imagine if you had hundreds of people and wow, maybe you've seen YouTube videos, you know, where these guys are in the wrong place at the wrong time and like tires flying off of highways and landing like exactly on someone. And you wonder, don't you often wonder, man, what did that guy do to deserve that? Or what did that person do to deserve that? And I do like videos and I like YouTube. I do like the, um, the, the, the karma videos where they talk about the things that happen to people as a result of things, instant karma. Instant karma is fascinating. I mean, we do, as Christians, we believe in reciprocity, that you sow and you reap. And, of course, you sow certain seeds, you're going to get a harvest of the same, but multiplied. And we see that in those videos. But sometimes there is no explanation. Do you think that they were any more wicked, these guys upon whom that fell? Do you think... All of the people who died in the World Trade Center when those airplanes crashed into it, that those people, they died because they deserved to die because they were wicked, and that's why they were in that building. No, it's just, how could you know? Uh, it just happens. Sometimes people die for no good reason or problems happen. But the bottom line is we have to trust God and no matter what and know that he ultimately is in control. So these are the seven things we're going to see, and then we're going to also learn about this story, and perhaps you'll see some things you've never seen before. Number one, life creates situations for you beyond your control. Genesis 16.1, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. Now, I want us to start here. Uh, we start with the fact that Hagar is a woman with no real control over her present set of circumstances, the situation in life, uh, whatever her history is or was, whatever the etymology of her becoming a slave, I don't know. Nobody really knows the history of Hagar. How does she end up? But we do know that there was such thing as slavery, 
And there were people that were sold into slavery. There were different reasons for it. Often they were captives from enemy nations where they went, or they were prisoners, or they were people indebted. But in this particular case, this woman is owned by them. And you say, well, thank God we don't have slavery today and that this doesn't exist. Well, in some uh, very unique places on the earth, it still does exist. But we can also look at it as analogous to situations we get into. Sometimes we are in a circumstance where we are virtual slaves to some pattern, something. And whatever it is that, she, that brought her here, we just know that she's there and uh, she's not calling the shots. She's not deciding about her life. Life is living her. And, and that's a horrible place to be. Uh, life has relegated her to a scenario and an existence that she had nothing to do with by her own volition. And so life, as it was for her, put her in this situation, a situation that would cause her masters to be able to use her as a surrogate mother like this. Uh, name her as a concubine. Uh, the word concubine in the Bible is used to describe a wife that is from a different origin than, than your wife. In other words, they married close in family. That's why just recently, if you remember, Isaac uh, was, it was coming for him to get married and the Lord had purposed for him to get married. But Abraham made Eliezer swear not to take for Isaac a wife from the people of that land where they were inhabiting, but put his hand under his thigh as a swearing and telling him, you go to my land, my origin place, and you find someone related uh, from my family. And sure enough, he did. The story of Rebecca comes that way where he went and that woman came with him. But concubines, the very name concubine means uh, someone from outside of their ethnicity or their origin nationally. So this means, it's, in other words, it's a wife, just like any other wife. And they have rights and privileges, but in this case, the slave becomes a concubine, which means she's being empowered in a way that she'd never been before. So if you look at it from one respect, you might think, well, she actually stepped up from just being a slave to becoming a wife of the master or Abraham. And this is true, but at times, you know, we're, we're out of control with situations that exist in our life. We find ourselves in a place like this, a place of discomfort or inability to alter the will of those around us because uh, they're part of us, uh, maybe in family circumstances. I know a lot of people that are trapped in families. I mean, that's how they feel anyway. Because of relationships with people in the family, they are bound by certain things. Jesus found people that were bound by family. And it was his intention and his desire that they be a part of his ministry. But they could not. Why? Because they needed to bury their father or they needed to tend to things. And he even told the parable about those people. So a lot of things can restrict us, not just Abraham and Sarah as masters, but maybe other things master us or other People. So we float down a stream like this, and the way I see it is that uh, uh, it's a stream uh, of a screenplay we did not author. It's like we are living a drama, but somebody else wrote it, and what makes it worse than, than anything is that we're not allowed to see the script all the time. And so it's just every day you wake up, life hands you something. Now, I realize most of you in this room, you're not quite in that circumstance, but I've met a lot of people that are. And when I meet these people where I've gone to different nations to preach the gospel, I see them in that position. And I know there's virtually no way they can get out of that except God do a miracle or some advantage come to them. So that's what we see. Number one, life creates situations for you beyond your control. Number two, life puts you in contentious circumstances. Life will do this. Don't you wish you could only be surrounded with people you got along with and that you were friends with and loved you and you loved them, but that's not a fact of life. You always find yourself with people with whom you have contention for different reasons. But here we see that Abraham slept with Hagar and she conceived. Now, I want to think a little bit about this um, before we go on to the fact that when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. I want to think about Abraham a little bit. Abraham, in his mind, although told by God that he was going to bear a son and that son would be the inheritor of all of the blessings that he had received to become a great nation through that son, 
he was not able to, and I'm looking at it from his perspective, maybe he thought, I'm not able to impregnate my wife. And so he had to think that partly the problem lied with him. Not so much that his wife was bare. What if he was infertile? And I know that occurred to him over almost 100 years that he is with his wife for uh, 50, 60 years of marriage and they are not making children. Now, Sarah's womb was closed. They always notice the Bible always blames it on the woman. But what if the man was infertile? Because it happens. There is such thing as infertility. So I think when Abraham actually was enabled to impregnate Hagar, this was a validating, vindicating moment for his manhood. He's thinking, hey, I'm not broken. I can have a child. So now we start to get a better picture of why Hagar would feel the way she felt. Now, Abraham is happy about this girl because he has proven with her that he is fertile. And that's why also later he absolutely is convinced that Ishmael should be the one that takes his place. And God doesn't allow it, but he thought that way. God chose to do it through Sarah because God makes those choices. But the choices that or God were making for Abraham and Sarah has nothing to do with poor Hagar. So Hagar here is, is she's in a great position because what was formerly her master is now a woman that was not able to do what she had done. And Abraham was happy about this. Now, we know this because later in the story, it says Abraham was grieved about the issues of his son because it was his son. So he was happy about his son, Ishmael. Then Sarai said to Abram, uh, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. Do you see it that way? Whose idea was this to begin with? Think about it. So you are responsible. Often when things go wrong, no, people want to blame someone else. You are responsible for the wrong. So I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Now, you know, poor Hagar, she did exactly what she was told to do, what she was commanded to do. Without her own will, she played her role as written by the people in control. She found a sense of power by this freedom, or more of an encrypted kind of freedom in the reality of her superiority to Sarah, and it must have shown up on her face. And it, this, this despising, I don't think that she was flippant and went straight to Sarah and said, you can't have a baby, I have a baby. But the attitude was there, and Sarah could detect it, maybe in the eyes, the way she looked at her, or maybe the uh, attentions and focus of her husband suddenly now are shifted. Whatever the case, it was an advantage that she discovered that, that made her feel empowered. But Abraham learned to love and respect her because of this, and it makes sense why she would despise her mistress. But the fact is, God still had a plan. The plan of God, and this also makes me think, the plan of God is much bigger than all of these people. And God is going to accomplish that plan. Hagar is just a small part of it. Abraham and Sarah are part of it. But God has a plan, and that plan is for Abraham to have children. But humans often will take steps to try to make things happen. And that's exactly what Sarai did with Hagar. So she's trying to make this happen, but it didn't work. And as a result now later that she is suffering from being despised, she blames it on her husband uh, for the nightmare that she made for herself. Really, she created this scenario. And a child was all that Abraham wanted. That's really what he was desperate to get all those years. In fact, the promises of God given to Abraham were given five times before or six times before uh, Sarah was ever pregnant. At the point of Hagar, it was five times the promise came, I will make a great nation out of you. So he knew that, but he was trying to figure out how that would be. One thing I found out about us is that human desperation uh, cannot and usually does not, if, if it's coupled with rash acts, it does not fulfill the purposes of God. Uh, sometimes we just need to be patient. Of course, patience like this was many, many years but now there's this circumstance, and we go back to poor Hagar in the middle of all this. Uh, May the Lord judge between you and me, Sarah said. 
So after all that had happened, Sarah is seeking the justice she believes that she deserves. She thinks she's been wronged in this situation, so she's looking for it. And if she was being despised by someone who was formerly, or still presently, her subservient, then I would understand. So she gives the matter over to God, and she's asking that God judge the situation and circumstance. Let the Lord judge between me. In other words, God, come and you deal with this situation. And that's not a bad thing to do. Because when she said this part, that may the Lord judge and do this, it actually is a prayer saying, Lord, let your will be done. It may, may let the Lord judge. It's like, Abraham, you don't decide. I'm not going to decide. Hagar's not going to decide. God, let you be the judge of this whole situation. And I think that's a good place to be and a safe step that we should take uh, to, to uh, ask God or invite him into this. Because that's what happens when life puts you in these contentious circumstances. You're in trouble. You can't make heads and tails of things. And um, really, you know, we when we make choices rashly on our own to try to make something happen, we often will dig a pit that we fall into. We dig our own pit and we fall in it. We get stuck in it. And God does not want you to live really by your wits. I know we want to live by our wits, but he really wants you to live by his will. And if we are seeking... Our intelligence or our plans or our schemes it says that only the counsel of the Lord will endure. And that's what's successful. So we must seek, we must wait, even when we become frustrated and don't see the answers that we're looking for. Just wait on God and live out your life in hopes and faith, uh, admonishing um, or at least speaking to him on a daily basis. Anyone who believes it's easy to do this is really a novice in the faith. It's not easy. I knew Christians live in this, this honeymoon of happiness where everything's perfect, but God starts to do uh, an internal work, and he uses life to do this, so life becomes its own. Number three, life unfairly mistreats you. Now, Genesis 16.6, it goes on to say, Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Now, do with her whatever you think best. Now, this is right after she said, May the Lord judge between me and you. And he says, I, hey, Sarah, you know, you. this was your slave from the beginning. So I give her back to you. Do whatever you think best. Now, Sarai mistreated Hagar. This means there was a time where she did not have access to Hagar. You understand? So now if she can mistreat her, she has access to her to do so. So that means when Abram had taken Hagar, she was separated into a different circumstance or even a, a different place with him. But now, the horrible thing is happening that she's put back into the environment with Sarai, who's now mad at her for being despised, and begins to mistreat her. So she fled from her. She ran away, as would most people. So, you know, and really, what right did Sarah have to mistreat Hagar? And the word actually means to browbeat and belittle someone to intimidate someone, that word for mistreatment. Sarah was angry at the fact that Hagar was able to do something that she could not do. And it was really her idea, put her up to it, but once she was successful, now she's angry. And Sarah used her as a pawn to try to accomplish something for her life, but it didn't work. She ended up despised. And there's going to be moments in our life, no matter how important we think we are, that we find ourselves in similar patterns of mistreatment. And this is, it's just not, Fair. Be, be very careful with those words, fair and not fair. A lot of people talk about they want fair. You hear children get in arguments, and one argument from the brother to the other brother will be what? Oh, it's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. Uh, we often talk about God, and we think of things that aren't fair. But be very careful, because what you don't want from God is what's fair. Uh, don't ask for what's fair, because what's fair is our destruction. What's fair is that we go to the lake of fire. That's what's fair. In fact, God is, he did the most unfair thing possible by taking his only begotten son, Jesus, and punishing him for crimes he didn't commit, and murdering him on a cross, or allowing him to be murdered on a cross as our sacrifice. That's totally unfair. So in light of what he did that was not fair, be careful about saying, hey, I want what's fair. You don't want what's fair. You want what's totally unfair uh, because that's called grace. 
unmerited favor. If I give you unmerited favor, you don't deserve it. And as other people in the room believe themselves more worthy of the gestures of kindness that I give you, and I bless you, and I give you gifts and presents, and people see that they become jealous, they would say, it's not fair. Because grace is not fair. It's unfair. And I thank God that he is so unfair to me. And I invite him every day to continue being unfair. I don't want you to be fair. I want you to be gracious. I want you to help me. But so in this circumstance, life unfairly mistreats you. And Hagar is being mistreated. So she runs away, as would any of us. So the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to shore. And he said, Hagar... Slave of Sarai, first of all, I want you to know that God sees her in her position. He calls her slave of Sarai. So the Lord, through this angel, is addressing her as the slave of Sarai. Where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Well, you know, this is understandable, but... In these moments, in these difficult times, uh, we may want to run from it, but I will warn you about running from persecution or running from difficulties in life. If you run from circumstances in life that are against you, you will be running for the rest of your life. It's better to make a stand and deal with it and invite the Lord. Otherwise, you will always be running and running and running. And the problem with running away from your problems is those problems will find you wherever you go. And I find that with all the processes of God in our life, the way he develops us, there's tests we must pass, especially in relationships. And so if you just run away from even a relationship that is broken or is soured, it does not mean that that you have been successful because whatever the issue was that was being worked out of your life, if you abandon the process here, it will show up somewhere else. Until, in fact, if you notice a pattern in your life that the same thing keeps happening again and again everywhere you go and with everyone with whom you relate, it may be that the issue is not yet changed in you. And that's where you need to pay close attention to when life mistreats you, when difficulties come. So, you know, we need to make sure that we're submitted to God's purposes. It's not easy. And the the thing here is that uh, in these moments, you know, life is cruel. Life uh, defined as human thinking and logic are what create the outcome of our life for us in this world. In other words, all the things that you live through are what people decide. By the way, the Biblical patriarchs were not exempt from that. Every single one of them found themselves in positions that were uncomfortable and difficult because people made choices. And that's what's so hard. So the sad part is that no human is even close to God in his nature and love. So we cannot expect life to treat us fairly because people are in charge of life. God ultimately is in control in the big picture. But we are in an amalgam of humans, and we are all corrupt, and we all mistreat each other. And as a result, this world and the life we live can become a living hell at times. And we know that to be true. Uh, What happens next then? Well, that depends upon our understanding of what God is and who God is in our life. How do you relate to God? And a lot of people who never have circumstances uh, change in their life, they simply are not inviting God honestly and sincerely into that situation to change them. If you spend all your time trying to change the people around you, the issue may be that you need changing. And and the, the difficulties that arise are often as a result. Number four, we see life is used by God to mold you. And this is a principle we cannot escape. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. Well, that's the last thing that she wanted to hear at this point. She's thinking, the angel has come to rescue me. And God found her out there running away and said, where are you going, uh, slave of Sarai? And while well, I'm running away because I was mistreated, okay, well, um, I'm here uh, to, to do something with you. And I think she might have been thinking, and, whoa, awesome, 
I'm going to be vindicated. I'll be set free. But no, actually just the opposite. And this is what I'm talking about, those circumstances that we run away from. Uh, God's going to make you go back until it's dealt with, until the thing changes. Now, believe me, uh, I'll fast forward and, and cut to the chase of the fact that Hagar becomes great and amazing, a mother of nations. I mean, just powerful woman. You don't hear a lot about it, but you hear about Ishmael and the 12 clans and all the people come out for them. They were wild people, and they were against the people around them. But think about what was in their psychological DNA. What if Hagar, who went through this circumstance, was your grandmother, and now you are a descendant of her, and your whole life you live, you hear the story of Hagar and how she was finally separated by God, which has not happened yet. But before God can rightly separate you and exalt you, you must first see every resurrection is preceded by a crucifixion and death. So she has to go through a form of death in order to live. So her, her circumstance was wrong. She's mistreated. She's running away from it. And the angel doesn't come to pull her out of that prop, doesn't come to deliver her, but in fact to throw her back into the fire. And you think, well, that's not why. That's so wrong. It's so cruel. No, it's because this principle cannot be circumvented. Not by anybody in the Bible. Not by Jesus. He tried. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, let your will be done. Uh, not by Joseph. Joseph received the promise to be a great uh, man and to go and save the world from hunger. But uh, he couldn't avoid the process of being thrown into a cistern and mistreat the same thing. You see, Isaac... Even the son of Abraham, later on, he goes through same issues from well to well. We're just reading that in the one-year Bible. And now they're chasing him off from this well and that well and all these things. So now, go back to your mistress, the angel added. I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Now, you often find that when God is telling you to do something you absolutely don't want to do, he will couple it with a promise that if you do this, this will happen. And this is where you're going to have to step out on a limb of faith and believe that what he's saying is true. If he speaks to you and tells you, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son and you shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard of your misery. And he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. So she gave this name uh, to the Lord who spoke to her. Now I want to point something out here. Fascinating. The Lord spoke to her. And so much so that she named him. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That's interesting. This word see is physical see. She met God. And not only did she meet God, but she's in communication with God. And I want you to start thinking, of course, of course Hagar wanted to run away, but the last thing that she ever wanted to hear was this. But the circumstance is creating an environment in her life that's causing her to reach a level of intimacy with the creator of the universe that very few people in the Bible ever reached. Um, by the way, Sarah never had this. The only time Sarah ever spoke to God and had a conversation was, I didn't laugh. That's her only communication with God. And of course, God said, no, you did laugh. So her only communication directly with God was a lie. But here, this poor woman, uh, relegated to this position, mistreated like this, and being told to go back and submit to further mistreatment, she is now on a one-on-one -on -one basis. She's naming God a special name. And she gave that name to him. I have now seen the one who sees me. And this is why the well was called Bir Lahoiroi. And it is still there between Kadesh and Beret. So Hagar, of course, she went back 
She bore Abram a son. Do you think, well, how long was she pregnant? We don't know exactly. We just know that she had already been impregnated um, and and that baby was in her womb and months had gone by enough that she was showing and that made Sarai angry. And so she said, well, you take her. She's your surrogate. You do what you want. She mistreated her. She run away. But she goes back, bore Abram a son. She submitted to this process. And Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. The child grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. Now we're going forward to this time that uh, Hagar uh, has had Ishmael. Ishmael is growing and now um, Sarai or Sarah becomes pregnant and also has a child. And uh, that child was grown and weaned and Abraham held a great feast um, for Isaac. And uh, they're kind of, the Bible kind of skips around in the story, uh, but we're going to focus on, keep focusing on Hagar because uh, this is a God-given promise that she's received, but she could not get it unless she submitted. And that's my point. If you don't submit to the process, the promise will not come true to you. And that's why a lot of people never are fulfilling the purpose of God or never receive the promises of God because they're not willing to go through such things. God wants to bless us. But we find that according to the common biblical perspective of those whom he blessed, the road to said blessings is always a path of hardship and suffering. And this is because God uses life to mold us and shape us according to his plan and purpose for our life. Number five, life is ultimately controlled by God. Now, as life is doing these things to you, the good news is life itself is really under God's control. Uh, we don't always realize that. We may not appreciate that fact, but I promise you, it is. He has control over it. Now, Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had born to Ab Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. And the matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. Now, here, it concerned his son because it concerned Isaac? No, because it concerned his son Ishmael. Uh, he would not be distressed if his concern was for Isaac. He had concern for Isaac, of course, uh, but the distress is a balance. Now, you can go either way with this. You can decide, well, he was distressed really because Isaac was being ridiculed. And maybe he was in danger by Ishmael. But I tend to believe, in light of the fact that we're focusing on Hagar and what she's gone through, and God's plans, and the whole thing is about God's plan for Ishmael, for Hagar. And really, Hagar is the catalyst in the channel through which all these blessings will come and for that nation to be born. But it greatly distressed him concerning because it was concerning his son. And God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Now he's telling, don't, now sometimes, I'm sure Abraham was having trouble with what Sarah wanted at this point, because of all of his feelings and all that he's gone through, and the fact that Ishmael now was someone that was his child, but situations have changed, and now he feels sorry for Ishmael, he feels sorry for Hagar, but God says, don't worry about it. Sometimes we have to make choices and decisions in life that we feel rotten about. Sometimes we have to, to take steps that we don't want to take and that we would rather not take because ultimately God, God will tell you to do it. And we have to be ready for that. Because if we don't, then God's bigger purposes will not be carried out. And the thing is, God does not always explain to you what those bigger purposes are. The smaller reasons are the things can, he often just tells you what's concerning you and your future and not always about how it's going to affect all the people around you. God said, don't be distressed about the boy and listen to whatever Sarah tells you because it is through Isaac. So here God worked out the situation of Hagar's life to give her exactly what she wanted, really. What did she want to begin with? She ran away. She wanted to be separate. And she didn't want to share a place with Sarah. But now God is doing exactly that. She is sharing a place with Sarah. And now 
God is enabling her to get what she originally wanted. But this is not exactly how she envisioned it, I'm sure. She had a different idea. Run away and just start a life and bring, you know, bring her pregnant child or the child that was in her womb and do something. But no, God had a plan because he needed the blessing to be proper. He needed the connection. Often you're in that, in that adverse environment or circumstance you're in, that's actually where the anointing will come to you or the blessing will come to you that will bring you to your future. And then during that, I know a lot of people have been in churches and in ministries where they were miserable, but God put them. I know for a fact, I, I served for years in one of the most religious environments. I often talk about it. They were very religious and very restricted, and a lot of laws and rules, and I was often miserable, and everybody was just bitter like this. I was mistreated by a lot of people. I was, uh, all these issues that went through, I actually went through through a ministry capacity, but I knew not, and I even had the thought I could just leave and go somewhere else, but God says, no, you stay there. And with hindsight, I'm so glad I did because I know all of the things I learned from that process and all the blessings that came, including relationships that came that are very valuable and still carry me to this day. So life is controlled by God. Let him let him take care of it. Let him live for you. And then when the time comes, circumstances themselves will push you where you need to be. Once again, Hagar still has no choice here. This is them deciding for her. Sarah first wants her. Sarah wants her to do this, that, the other. Then Sarah is angry at her. And then Sarah this, Sarah the other. But now Sarah wants to get rid of her entirely because she's afraid of the conflict that comes. And gosh, poor poor Hagar. And it, it gets worse, by the way. Uh, when God takes control of our lives, he works it out in ways that we could never have imagined. So we have to learn to trust no matter what happens in the process. Uh, number six. Life will bring you to seemingly insurmountable obstacles. In other words, uh, if, if it was bad enough, it's getting worse, and you will find that. But as that old expression, you know, it's always darkest before the dawn. And this worst moment happens. I will make the son, and this is God's, I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, he tells Abraham, because he is your offspring. But this is reasoning concerning uh, concerning Abraham's distress about doing this. He's assuring Abraham, don't worry about it. I'm in control, and uh, I'm going to take care of it. So, early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. She set them on, or he set them on her shoulders, and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. So here she's at, this is the worst place. Uh, she's wandered in the wilderness. She's just given water, sent out, ejected, they live in desert regions, and so she has no other place to go. Just to be careful, she goes to the wrong people. They will take her as the far worse will happen to her. So she's trying to find some safe, secure place to be, and she ends up lost, I imagine. She doesn't have water, and they're, they're going to die of thirst. So she, has, she can't watch it. She can't see her own born child die like this. So she lays him down and she goes a distance away, a bow shot. It's pretty far if you've ever shot bow and arrow. That's really far. I mean, I can shoot, and I can shoot easily. Wow, like 100, uh, 100 meters would be easy. 200, 300 meters you can shoot an arrow. So it's long enough where if he did whimper or cry or gasp, she won't have to hear it. But she's heartbroken about this. So God promises Abraham that he's going to bless um, Hagar and bless Ishmael. But this is a hard time for Abraham as well. Uh, Hagar does not have the details clearly explained. She just puts, they just put water bottles and send her out. And she goes out. But the good news is number seven. Life will be made into what God intends no matter what man does. God heard the boy crying. That's interesting. God heard the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. 
God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for, for him from Egypt. And that's where it all began. In fact, Genesis 25, we go down to verse 12, you actually see that this is the account of the family line of Abraham's son Ishmael, whom Sarah's slave Hagar the Egyptian bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael listed in the order of their birth. Um, and they give all the names. Neboya, the firstborn of Ishmael, Kedar, Abdil, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masahada, Temar, Jetur, Nefesh, and Kedema. These were the sons of Ishmael, and these are the names of the twelve tribe, tribal rulers according to their settlements and camps. Ishmael lived 137 years. He breathed his last and died, and he was gathered to his people. His descendants settled in the area from Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt, as you go toward Asher. They lived in hostility toward all the tribes related to them, meaning they lived in hostility toward the descendants of God's people. And God protected them the whole while. In other words, they were allowed to do this because they were a different segment or a different group of people. And of course, a lot of theologians will look at this and say, these are the fathers of the nations that to this day are persecuting the Jews and blah, blah, blah. Well, I don't know about all that. I'm not really going into that. I'm just saying that, that God blessed Hagar. And in this situation, uh, I'm sure when she was growing old, and by then she saw her son married and then have all these children. And she got to be there as a grandmother because she was obviously younger than her than Sarah. So she got to have a long life and see all of these children grow and watched a nation form around her. And she was honored and blessed. And I'm, that's why I said earlier, part, part of the reasons why they lived in animosity toward all those other tribes is because they knew the story. And they stood and defended and protected her, which means that God surrounded her with these people. So an entire independent and powerful nation came through Hagar. And God made this happen no matter what the people decided to do. See, all these decisions surrounding her, but ultimately God did what God wanted to do for her and for Ishmael. Uh, even if they were a product of a mistake, uh, there are, I've seen products of mistakes bear great fruit. I've seen accidental things become wonderful. And that means that my plan had nothing to do with it. That God had a bigger plan. What if I would conjecture with you and say, perhaps God actually authors failure sometimes or mistakes so that ultimately he can get his purpose. Would you feel bad if you found out God manipulated you like that? And actually made you do something stupid because ultimately he had something he needed to do? It's a good question. Isn't it? Would you feel, oh God, how dare you use me like that? Well, you, you know, the, no way can the pot call the potter anything. You're made by him. He can do whatever he wants. And I have made, I have done things and made mistakes that I know later produce God's purposes. Now you might say, well, that's Romans eight twenty eight. All things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to His purposes. Whatever. I just know that Hagar went through hell and back, and was blessed by God. So if life does these things to you, if you go through this process, understand that God will take care of you. These are the seven things that we saw. Hagar, when life is not what you want, life creates situations for you beyond your control. Uh, number two, life puts you in contentious circumstances. How many of you are have been or currently are in a contentious circumstance? Uh, yeah, it's kind of hard to avoid. If you live on planet Earth, that applies to you. Life unfairly mistreats you. How many of you could say that that's happened to you? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Unfair. Uh, be careful with that word. Remember, life is used by God to mold you. That's true. Absolutely true. Whatever difficulties you go through or trials, it's just causing you to become better. Uh, you know, if whatever, what, whatever doesn't kill you makes you grow. Uh, so life is ultimately controlled by God. 
Now that is a, that is a declaration that you have to stretch your faith to believe because there's times it's very very much challenged, and you think God is absolutely out of control. No, He there might be men in charge, but God's in control, and there's a difference between being in charge and being in control. The same thing about God's presence and what He does. I can be uh, I can be in charge of the church service. I can be in charge of the worship session, but I'm not in control ultimately. Because I can't make God dance for me. Uh, he either will show up or he won't show up. And I don't have a formula to make him show up. So I leave the control to him, which means he often changes songs, changes things around and does what he wants to. I practice and get there ready because I'm not in control. I'm in charge. So they are with people. And because they are people, what they do, the decisions they make, are not always going to be popular choices to you. In fact, they may be horrible things. But trust, just trust, that ultimately it's controlled by God. Number six, life will bring you to seemingly insurmountable obstacles. Yep, you'll find yourself in the desert dying with no hope. And remember that the water that she saw, there's two ways you can look at that that it was already there and she didn't notice it, or that God instantly created it. I think it was already there. But when we are in despair, and we're sobbing, and we're so self-focused, or self-pity, self-worry, woe is me, it's not fair, when you're in that mentality, often the, the, the way out and the blessings are right around you, but you simply don't see them. But God will show you, he will come to you. And this, this level of intimacy we see between Hagar and God is amazing. Because number seven, life will be made into what God intends, no matter what man does. Amen? Amen. How'd you, how many of you learned something about Hagar? Interesting. And, I, and this kind of message, too, there's a lot of things there, I'm sure, that God led you off on some tangents in your mind. When that happens, take your notes and listen, because there's such a, such a deep story. Uh, that we look at in these passages. and Very exciting days in Genesis, and I'm looking forward to uh, other messages. God's been giving me so many little messages, and um, I can't wait. We're looking forward to, to continuing to learn from His Word. Why don't we pray? Thank you, Jesus. God is so good to us.